I would start replacing the word fail with learn or failing with learning. And I think that's the thing for me. Um, one of the things that people know me for is resilience. Uh, I will always find a way, <laughs> no matter the barrier, I will find a way. Or if this way isn't working for me, I will create my own way. So I think in terms of failure, I think we need to change the conversation around failure. From Caribbean Ideas in Trinidad and Tobago, this is Uptick, a part of the Caribbean Innovation Content Network. Uptick is a show that brings you the stories of Caribbean entrepreneurs and corporate innovators that are building the next generation of great companies. These are the stories you don't typically hear of how these leaders are working to build brands and businesses that can not only impact the Caribbean world, but also have an impact on the global business stage. Their stories will move you, inspire you, push you to take action, and perhaps spark your next big idea. I'm your host, Chike Farah. I'm always interested in understanding what leads to greatness, how people from all around the world, but especially in the Caribbean, build a belief that they can impact the world. What's interesting is that things often don't start off with such a grandiose idea. In fact, great ideas often just start with being curious about something and then following the trail of your curiosity to an insight. Now, in an earlier episode this season, Ron Johnson of Blueprint Creative mentioned the work that Dr. Rochelle Haynes of Crowd Potential Consulting has been doing. And as I learned more about her work, I knew we had to add her to this season's roster. Rochelle and her business partners have the copyright around a set of frameworks related to the idea of gig HR. And they're some of the leading thinkers on a hugely important area, how organizations and people can think about designing their operations to adapt to the gig economy. In just the United States in 2018, it was estimated that 36% of workers were involved in the gig economy and that US freelancers contributed $1.2 trillion to the economy. That's right. In 2018, well before the pandemic. So if that was the case before, post-pandemic organizations worldwide have got to have a plan for how to contend with this evolving space. Like all the stories we explore on this podcast, what I love is that Rochelle is acutely aware that ideas alone aren't enough if you don't have the perseverance to follow them through and the belief in yourself that no matter where you're from, even if you're from the smallest island, that if your idea is big enough and your commitment strong enough, that the world will come calling. Have a listen and learn from Dr. Haynes. I know you'll enjoy her mix of thoughtfulness, humility, and drive. All right. Well, it's a very exciting day uh, on season two of the Uptick podcast. I'm really excited to have a conversation today with Dr. Rochelle Haynes, um, who I've gotten to know recently and is doing some really exciting things. So, uh, so I know this is going to be a great conversation. So welcome, Rochelle. Great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Yeah, no, this is this is going to be good. I mean, you know, you've been flying the flag and representing for the Caribbean in you know in in a lot of interesting ways and and I think you know the the listeners out there are going to really enjoy learning about uh, what you're doing and and some of the things that you've you know learned along the way so you know why don't we start you know let's 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 get get folks introduced to you so so yeah. tell us where you're from um you know both not the country but also not just the country but also where in the country you know let's get people understanding where where you are from on the Caribbean map yeah, so I am from Barbados, um, and originally, well, born in St. Michael, born and raised half in St. Michael, and then in St. George, so I grew up most of a country bumpkin <laughs> for most of All my right. life. Um, so I was in Barbados till about age 24, and then I moved to the UK, so I've been in the UK for the last 11 years, but I'm currently working remotely from Barbados, so back home, it's nice to be back home. 
I know I, I, I am still very envious of you. We've been talking, <laughs> it's been winter in, um, in the US, in mm-hmm. Seattle, and, you know, and I, and I know I could, I, I remember joking around the last time we chatted, I could see some, some glimmers of sun through the window. I was like, oh, I know exactly what, what goodness is on the other side of that. So I'm yeah. very happy to escape winter this year. Yeah. I think I'm going back right in time for spring. So no complaints here at all. That's it. That, that was a power move on your part. That was definitely <laughs> a power move. Well, you know, I think one of the things that, um, you know, we're going to get into a lot more is, is some of the work that you've been doing around, um, you know, gigs, gig economy, gig HR, and that sort of thing. But, but, but tell us a little bit about, you know, your, your career path and your career journey. So as you said, you grew up, you know, in, in, in Barbados, and then you ended up in the UK. But, you know, tell us a little bit about mm-hmm. the, the, the stops, the key stops on the journey and what you're doing now. So originally, I wanted to be a child psychologist, and I studied psychology at UE, um, at University of the West Indies. And then because there wasn't a lot of, um, there weren't a lot of psychology internships in Barbados, I opted to teach at a primary school for two years to get the experience of working with kids. Um, but as I was saying to you in a previous conversation, eight hours in a classroom with 30 kids made me realize very quickly that it wasn't for me. Uh, kudos to all primary school teachers out there. Um, but following that, I worked with a trust corporation, a Canadian bank and trust. And while I was there, I had to do a lot of work and liaising with international clients. And during that time, I got along well with these clients. It was impacting our business for the good, that particular business positively. So then I got approached by the CEO to help them to open and um, run an HR department within the bank. Um, But at the time, HR was still very new to me. And also they wanted me to stay and they would pay for me to study And then I would run it after I study, run the department. But my issue with that is I love to travel. So I didn't want to be pinned down in one location. I was 22 and I thought, no, I I got a lot of the world to see. So I told them, thank you, but no, thank you. And then because of that, after that to me, there was not much direction left for me in the company. So I opted to quit and to go overseas and pursue a master's in HR. So that's how I really got on the HR specific paths. I would say the inspiration came from them. Um, but also, while I was abroad, I did well on the master's. I got an offer to do a PhD scholarship in international HR. And that's where came the interest in, let's say, remote work, expatriates, working abroad, as I myself was working abroad. So following that, that's how I got into academia, because as you know, I'm a senior lecturer as well. But on top of that, I also did consulting work alongside um, studying the PhD and teaching. So then from there, once the PhD was finished, I thought, okay, well, consulting is something I want to pursue full time. One, because it's I like working on different things. So consulting allows me to work on different projects and engage with different people at different times. So I'm very opposed to a nine to five position. And to me, consulting was it for me. So I signed my company, I um, launched my company. And then from there, I really got into the the full time, well, not full time, full time in terms of running the company. It's kind of like I have two full times. I still have my job. I also have the company as well. Yeah, well, so, so tell us, so tell tell folks the name of your of your company. It's Crowd Potential Consulting Inc. Great, yeah, and we're gonna we're definitely gonna go a little bit deeper on that. But I think what's interesting is, well, you know, in addition to swapping, um, you know, uh, teaching the primary school folks for 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 teaching 
um, folks who are a little bit older, even though my, my father was a lifelong lecturer. And so I, I'm not I'm not sure if, if there's material differences. Hopefully there are material differences. Um, sometimes us, you know, you know, university students, we, we could be uh, like primary school children too sometimes and when, when, when we're in the wrong mood. But, um, you know, I think as you mentioned, you know, you kind of really uncovered this 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 thread and you've been kind of pulling on it in terms of okay first there's hr then there's sort of modern work and and how that's going to evolve and and what that means for organizations and so on and and i think one of the things that's really fascinating about your work um is that you've gone on to actually trademark um you know uh some of these concepts so tell us a little bit more about you know what you've trademarked and, and that concept Okay, so the concept that I trademarked is called Gig HR, and that is based on a study that we did. Um, well, that we, we released the, the white paper on that study in 2020, but the study started really in 2018, the end of 2018. And during that time, um, I was very much interested in how the world of work was changing. I guess seeing it from the academic side, I know all the theories of work, all the theories of management and HR and people management. But yet in the in industry and through consulting, often I found what I was experiencing was very different and how I opted to work felt very different. But there was no real literature um, that I was seeing representing that. So I thought, okay, it'll be really interesting to do a study on how the world of work is changing and whether or not our people management strategies are suitable for these changes. So then I did this global study where I partnered with Jeremy Blaine from Performance Works International. And what we did was that we did more than 2000 um, interviews and surveys with different companies across the globe. And we were asking them about how their world of work is, cha is changing, but we were also speaking to employees and digital nomads. So those who work from anywhere in the world or keep traveling. Uh, so then, our study, one of the things that our study revealed was that the world was moving towards more independent contract, remote type work. Um, but yet we were still, companies were still trying to manage in a very full time nine to five way. And because of that, there, we were seeing a clash and companies weren't, they were saying that they weren't prepared. And these were the problems that they were having managing this new type of work. So then based on that study, we released a white paper in February 2020 saying businesses aren't ready for remote work. They aren't ready for the new world of work and so forth. And this is what they need to do. And we published also our gig HR framework. And what that framework did or what it spoke about was how companies need to revamp their policies and their environments and the way in which they engage with workers that suits just more than one type of worker. So we published that in 2020, February 2020. And as you know, the world went on lockdown, March. Yeah, exactly. I, well, I was just about to say that, you know, um, folks listening might have kind of heard that date and it kind of registered, but like, I want to kind of come back to it. It's like, you know, we published a study in March of 2020, just when pretty much all around the world, things were coming to a, a, a major, a major stop. And here are companies now starting to say, what do we do? How do we adapt? Um, and here you are, you have this study that's talking about even, even sort of outside of pandemic life, 
um, this is the way that the world is is going. So, so you know, what was the reaction to that? What what happened as a result of that for your for for one of your jobs? It's funny. It really impacted both of them. Um, on on the consulting side, we started getting a lot of um, phone calls for public speaking events and for webinars on master classes on how to. Uh, manage a company remotely, how to engage remote workers, how to actually set up your organization digitally for remote work. And then on the lecturing side, it was the same as well. I started, um, like, for example, the chartered body CIPD, um, was chartered body for HR, uh, well, across the globe, particularly in the UK, headquartered in the UK, but across the globe, they reached out and they said, hey, can you speak on this panel about gig workers? So, that was last June, and since then, it's, it's, it's still been going. It's still been a nonstop process of um, providing solutions for organizations. But it's been very interesting. It's not just solutions for organizations, but also solutions. We've been contacted also by governments, because what's happened as well is that a lot of countries have, have started pursuing remote work welcome stamps, making it easier, visas that make it easier for um, digital nomads to come and work in their country for, let's say, a longer period of time. Um, so since then, a lot of countries in doing that have realized that while we're inviting these digital nomads here, do we actually have everything that they need? So then that's um, that's resulted in more work as well. So it's been yeah, a very busy period. <laughs> absolutely. And, and that's actually kind of an interesting topic because kind of around the region, mm-hmm. um, you know, Barbados got a lot of kudos for 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 creating its um, welcome welcome stamp program and and sort of saying, look, you know what, you're 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 a, a country that's very dependent on tourism and has ground to a halt and finding a way to do that. But I know that a funny story on that is that you know you've been talking about this for some time, years years now, yeah. And um, and there was certainly a point <laughs> pre pandemic when people were like, no, this could this could never work, and and yeah. and they had. They, they had to sort of realize, wait a minute, um, we were wrong and you were right, right? Yeah, that was an interesting point because uh, it was it was a funny day because my sister sent, I did um, a conference last, in 2019, I did a conference in 2019, November. And at the conference, there was an interview after in the local newspaper in Barbados that highlighted what I was saying at the conference. And what I was basically saying is that we should encourage and embrace remote work and other forms of work in the Caribbean as well. And following that, Uh, My sister sent me a message um, like two days later saying that this very popular radio host was saying that I was out of touch with the Caribbean. This will never work. This this won't happen. And yeah, it was it was just a bit funny then because when at the time I reacted very funny to it, I said that person criticized me. Wow, I've made it. That person knows my name. I've made it. It was funny. It was a joke between us at the time. but then to realize then February, March, when it came around, and then everyone started calling and asking questions. Yeah, they, it was a bit vindicating considering considering that initial reaction. So so I want to kind of go in terms of um, influences on the path. One of the things I'm always interested in as I talk to Caribbean innovators and people who are pushing the envelope and, and, and so on is, you know, what were some of the influences? And in your case, you, as you said, you had these two paths where you 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 know, you're a lecturer um, and now you're managing a, a business at the same time. Did you have, um, you know, particular people in your life when you were younger that either were entrepreneurial and that you were looking at or, or who were some of the influences that, that you kind of, you know, look yeah. back on? 
It's very interesting because, for example, my dad is the type of person that he always tries new stuff. So one time he had a construction firm, the other time he had a, a gym and a martial arts academy, another time he had, um, what else? I've forgotten all of them. I think I might have called them out. a video, a video store back to the day when video was still a thing. Right. So he was the person that he was always trying different entrepreneurial stuff. I would say in later years, it was really around uh, persons really that pushed me was my aunt um, and also a good friend of mine, um, Chris, because what he did was to show me different ways of pursuing things because I'm not a person that came from a background with a lot of money. So one of the things that my friend Chris showed me in, he was always very much a go-getter, very much of, I'm going to find a way to make this happen. And one of the things he showed me was how to make things happen when one door was closed. He said, yeah, okay, you're worried about doing this thing. You say you can't afford it here. Here is the avenues that you can use to gain the funds you need to support this activity. So that was quite useful. Um, my aunt was very useful in terms of just encouraging me one to go abroad and have new experiences and not to limit myself so that was pretty impactful as well and then I remember um, there was a businessman I was in touch with ages ago and I was telling him about I was about 18 I was telling him all the things I wanted to do when I finished university and I was saying to him but I'm not sure if I can do them because I don't know if I have enough money and he said, you know what, forget that, forget money. Don't let money be your objective. Let the thing be your objective and then money will come. And I never forgot that. And I've seen that time and time again. So even like when I started um, the research project, I thought, well, this is a global project. How am I going to fund this? But uh, one of the things that was really inspiring to me, especially when I got into entrepreneurship, was to see the amount of people that when you put your vision out there, when you put, um, when you risk it and put your your ideas and you start to pursue that out there, you'll be amazed at the amount of people that come alongside you to support you. And there were so many people where I thought I would be really competing against massive, large businesses. So many people said, hey, you're doing this? That's great. I'm going to put you in touch with this person who would really help you on this. And I'm going to put you in touch with this person. Because that's how I got in touch with my business partner. I was working with another consultant. She put me in touch with, after we worked on a project, she said, I have another person that would be great for you to work with. And she put me in touch with him. <clears throat> and he funded he funded the research that we did for the tune, to the tune of thousands of dollars, uh, thousands of pounds. So things like that um, have been really inspirational. People like that have been really inspirational. The ones that really push you to do things regardless of the barriers that present themselves. Yeah, I love that um, on, on so many levels. You know, one of the one of the things that Uptick is really all about is, you know, I just wanted people to hear more of the stories mm -hmm. of, you know, people who are kind of trying to push the Caribbean forward, push the world forward, etc. And one of the things that I always believe in pretty fervently is, mm -hmm. is that, you know, you, you're going to have to have an, an attitude or an approach that, you know what, obstacles are going to come. They're definitely going to come. Um, and you got to find ways. Uh, do, I, do I dig underneath it? Do I, yeah. you know, go around it, side on the side, or climb over it? How, how do you kind of build yeah. that? And in fact, that's um, one of the themes of this season. You know, there's sort of three Ps that we're, we're focusing on, perseverance, um, pivots, and purpose. And you kind of touched on both of them in, in what you just shared, you talked about um, sharing your idea, mm. sharing what you're trying to do, 
Um, and when you take that risk and put it out there, um, that sometimes good things can happen. So tell us a little bit about your larger mission and purpose at this point. Yeah. So my, I call myself a good work advocate. And what that really means is that I want people to have a very positive experience of work. And I see that in different ways. Our experience of work should not just be dictated by the organization that we're working for at the time. I think there's so many different experiences of work and so many ways in which people work well. And I would really like to see, particularly in the Caribbean, for, for those ways of working, different ways of working to be embraced. The other thing I would really like to see is um, persons really pursuing and fulfilling their entrepreneurial passion and mission, but on a global scale. So one of the things I think in the Caribbean that we often struggle with is the implementation of our innovative ideas. We have a lot of great ideas, but in terms of converting those ideas to products, I think we've always been a bit slow on. So one of the things that I'm very keen to see, especially where we're talking about gig workers, the remote world, and people traveling to Barbados, to work, I really want to see an increase in knowledge exchange that would result and would help in helping us to convert some of those ideas into products. But I think it's, it's not just dependent on people, people coming to Barbados and sharing knowledge with us. We have a not in the Caribbean, we have a lot of brilliant minds ourselves. Um, so I think in terms of I'm very interested in harnessing those ideas or teaching people or let me say facilitating the process of harnessing those ideas and making those visions a reality. And I think that starts at a very young age. I think it starts with a review of our educational system. I think our educational system is still very much vamped towards teaching individuals to get a job rather than teaching individuals to create jobs. So I think that in terms of my overall vision, that's my mission. And I think that's where in the Caribbean we have, we still have a lot of work to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I always, um, think about is that we are great in the Caribbean. We have brilliant people, great energy, great vibrancy. Yeah. Um, but, and, you know, sometimes we say we're great at producing, as you said, you know, people who, you know, doctors and lawyers and they're kind of trained to get a job, you know, um, but people are sometimes afraid to fail. Yeah. To be as a failure or to take a risk or to create. Um, so how have you specifically internalized the risks of entrepreneurship? Um, connected it to your approach so that folks who are listening, who, who, who might want to do something, have an idea, but be worried about it. Um, how do you sort of approach things like that, approach risk, approach yeah. quote unquote failure? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I, am, I would start replacing the word fail, fail with learn or failing with learning. And I think that's the thing for me. Um, one of the things that people know me for is resilience. Uh, I will always find a way, no matter the barrier, I will find a way. Or if this way isn't working for me, I will create my own way. So I think in terms of failure, I think we need to change the conversation around failure. And also it's, it's still going back and very influenced by our educational system, where we're very much taught constantly about success, the importance of success, making sure you pass and do well in the common entrance. And if you haven't done well in the common entrance, then you are going to these particular schools, which give the impression of failure. We have this stigma around these one set of schools are better than the other set of schools. Um, so I think our conversation around success and failure needs to change. When you look at a lot of great entrepreneurs out there, um, you have situations where in their childhood, failure was encouraged. 
because they were they were taught something from the process. And if they didn't, they, they, this didn't work, it was about, okay, what did you gain from that experience? And how do you apply it to the next experience? Okay, now that experience, you failed the second time, but you're a bit further than you were the first time. So what can you take from here and then still keep on your goal? So one of the, the best things someone told me was, I remember I went to a conference once and I was presenting a paper in a, a journal workshop. And the, the editors, they were giving me feedback, one-to-one -one feedback, and they were pretty, they were really harsh on my paper. They were like, I don't think you have anything really here. I think you need to go back to the drawing board, yada, yada, yada. And I said, well, in the end, as, as they were going on, I said, thank you for that. And thank you for telling me that because I would have gone and presented absolute rubbish in this session. And they said, listen, don't see your work as rubbish. But they said, this guy that I looked up to as an expert um, in this particular field, he said to me, you know what? I can cover the walls, the four walls of my bedroom with all, with re all the rejection letters that I've ever received. But he said, see your paper as your first draft as a prototype. You do that first draft or you do that first project. You get feedback on that. You use that to make the second prototype better. And then you get feedback on that. Maybe it doesn't work on but you're closer because now you're going to use it to improve um, prototype three. And that's how you kind of develop. So failure is part of the process. And as long as we demonize failure and as long as we run from failure, we're not really going to achieve the success that we're looking for. Yeah. And it's funny. Yeah, like I, I, I love to ask a question about failure on the podcast um, because without ever putting anybody up to it, unfailingly, pretty much everybody says, what do you mean fail? It's not failure. It's, it's, it's learning. It's yeah. trying. It's, it's something to grow. Yeah. And, and, and I think that is one of the overriding messages because, because you have to be, you know, able to, to persevere, you know, you are going yeah. to have obstacles. You're going to have things that you're going to want to, to, to maybe fold up and, and, and go away. Um, and so, Figuring out an approach where you where you see it in a different light is yeah. is really so important. So important. Yeah, we so need important. to change the conversations. I think that we're having in schools, change the conversations that we're having among our friends, and and stop demonizing failure. <laughs> no one's a, a failure. We, we try and we go again. But I think along the process, it's really important too to stop and think. Okay, stop and have some reflection time before just straight jumping into the other thing because you really want to learn from the process. And even on my um, the entrepreneurial journey, things are going well now. But there are a lot of um, soft failures I had along the way. I remember um, where once I was contacted by this large organization who wanted to know more about my GigHR framework. And my friend put me in touch with this organization. She works there. It's a world-renowned organization. And they asked me for uh, a session on my framework because they want to use it in their company. And I went and I did that session for free. <laughs> and my, my um, colleague came back to me. She said, how did the session go? I said, it went really well. They seemed really grateful and everything. Everyone was really happy. And she said, okay, so you got paid, right? I said, what, pay? She said, you didn't get paid? She said, Rochelle, every presenter was paid. <laughs> Why weren't you paid? Why didn't you ask for payment? Didn't you give an invoice? So I had moments like that. I had moments where... Um, I reached out to some people for collaboration and then I didn't hear from them again. And then someone sent me screenshots of them posting my ideas elsewhere and making money from them, you know, but in each of those things, they have helped me know <laughs> because I know that I will do those things differently. 
So absolutely, yeah, absolutely. That's and that I mean that's so so important. So so if we if we talk a little bit about adapting, learning, and then trying something different, um, give us give us an example of you know um, you know probably the biggest change that you've made to your you know your business model or your business approach and strategy yeah. as a result of you know something that you observed. I would say the biggest thing that I have learned is saying no. And that sounds very strange to say, I guess. Um, but one of the things I started out doing was when I started consulting was saying yes, because I was very young in the field. Uh, and every I was worried that other persons had a lot more experience than I did. So I just wanted to learn. I said, I'll take every opportunity that comes my way. And what I found was, one, I gave a lot of stuff for free, which is fine. I don't mind that because it's more about the vision. But then there's a point where you approach burnout. And at the end of the day, you still got to provide for yourself. So very early on, my mistake was saying yes to everything. And I ended up operating. I ended up being very operational and my business wasn't really growing. So then now um, my motto is is kind of be more strategic in my decisions. Know, and know the power of no. And it's not necessarily that I'm being harsh, but if I want to be able to help um, the multitude of people that I say I want to help, then I got to be able to take care of myself as well, take care of my well-being, but also making sure that I can further the larger vision rather than, let's say, just grabbing at every single thing that comes my way, but does not necessarily funnel into that vision. That's great. You know, I think I wanted to, to explore in, in another area kind of related to your experience with GigHR, um, both individually and then some of the some of the advice you give other people. So one of the things that's interesting about you is, as you said, you have two jobs, right? Yeah. Um, which resonates with me because I I do as well. Um, you know, and that can be tricky to manage. And there's lots of people who you know have their side hustle. Um, how do you approach the balance? How do you how do you make that work? So this was a very interesting experience for me because especially with social media, and I think it's a wider social media conversation there as well. Um, I tend to use my LinkedIn a lot for consulting, primarily for consulting, for example. And one of the things I found, I used to consult before um, my most recent, because I've worked at more than one university before. I'm at a new university. I've been at one for the last two years. And now universities, before, when I first started eight years ago, universities weren't very keen on using LinkedIn and social media. Um, but now I found as the years have passed, they are. So I was already a consultant. I already had my own company when I came to the university. But then sometimes there were these clashes in terms of my the expectations of my full-time job for my social media and my own expectations. So I had to have a conversation with my boss around that in my full-time position about um, some of the things that I, were, I was posting and how my social media was being used. So then what I did in the end was separated it out. I decided that I'm going to remove all contacts from my um, LinkedIn of my full-time post and that I will use Twitter for that space instead if I want to um, liaise with my full-time colleagues. So I try to balance it in that way. In terms of time, Time is probably the, the trickiest factor. But to be fair, I'm in academia. And because of that, we do get a lot more, let's say, holiday time, a lot more um, vacation time than most people. 
Um, so in that way, that has been very suitable to what I do. At the same time, what I do complements academia as well, complements my full time. So I have, I've had less, um, less conflicts because of that. So, for example, um, my work was recently published in a Forbes article and my university found out about that. I let them know about that. And that helps in terms of their exposure. So that's been kind of celebrated within my full time job. Um, they're writing additional posts on it and that sort of thing. So in that way, when I think when one starts to complement the other, I'm very lucky. I know other people don't have that experience, especially if they're doing completely opposite things. But I think I'm very lucky in that the consulting facilitates my full time as well. For example, also getting guest lecturers. Sometimes I would go to some of my consulting colleagues and say, hey, do you want to give a guest lecture for this subject? So it's, that's how I've been learning to balance it. But if I'm truly honest, that's still an ongoing sort of <laughs> tread carefully sort of ground. It is tricky, but it's good to hear that you found some some ways to to navigate and kind of make those two make those two match. You know, we've been going through a, a period where, you know, there's a lot of dialogue about diversity, representation, you know, uh, equal opportunity. Have you found as, you know, uh, a Caribbean woman kind of making your way in this in this space, has that been an advantage? Um, have there been challenges? I'm kind of curious what your experience has been and how you've been navigating. You mean, do you mean in the entrepreneurial space or both the full-time and entrepreneurial? Well, I guess primarily in the entrepreneurial space where you're, where you're kind of trying to, to, to land this framework that, that there's all these people who yeah. are interested in and there's all these people who have theories around it and, you know, there's lots of different, yeah. you know, ways to land it. I'm kind of interested in that side. Yeah, it's, it's been interesting. I think um, I've seen the good and the bad of it. I think one of the things I, I used to get really challenged a lot on my age. So for example, I go into a session and I would be doing a leadership training workshop. And in the middle of the workshop, I would see some whispering, 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 and then they would raise their hands. And it's like, they've all unanimously decided to come to me and ask me my age. <laughs> so it's like, that used to be a bit off-putting. Um, the right. other issue around that I used to have was that often people didn't want to pay as a result. So there was an issue, I think it wasn't just the age, but I think it was um, the female side of things as well. So I've been very fortunate in that my business partner is also my mentor and he's very experienced in the field and so forth. And one of the things that he's taught me is, is about being more direct and putting my foot down about a lot of things. So I think that sort of mentorship has helped, but I do think um, female entrepreneurs do have certain barriers that they face in that regard. Um, in terms of the positive side, one of the things that <clears throat> I was told when I started consulting in England by some colleagues as well as clients was that, you know what, you are very unique and you need to use that uniqueness. Um, my German colleague gave me the example of when her, um, someone in a workshop said to her, you are German, you're a German uh, consultant within the UK and use your Germanness. <laughs> and I was surprised when she said it. But then she was making the point to me, you know, you're a Caribbean uh, female in the UK, you're doing something new and very different. But she was saying to me, use your uniqueness, don't try to hide that. Um, that can be your strength in the entrepreneurial um, sector. So I think one of the things I used to try to do in the past was to conform to what people, what I thought people thought was professional. 
I, want, I thought people um, wanted to hear or wanted to see from a consultant. Whereas where I started being just my pure self within the sessions where um, maybe I'm a bit jokey at times, maybe I'm a bit more casual at times, whatever the case might be. And I'm not saying this is unique to every Caribbean person, but in terms of my own personality, where I stopped trying to hide who I was and presenting what I thought people wanted, then that really started to make a difference. So I've had a lot of um, sessions where people, after they followed up and they said, I really like your spirit. I really like the spirit of that session. That session was really engaging. I really like how, you, how you're in your natural this. And to me, I've found that has been the strength in the work that I do when it comes to presenting. So it's, it's been a bit of good and bad. Yeah, you know, I, I love that. And, and it is really important, as you said, to kind of um, find ways. Like I love that you mentioned kind of being more direct, which, you know, I think is a is a universal thing, right? Yeah. Knowing your worth is a universal yeah, thing that absolutely. everybody in every situation, entrepreneurial, corporate, you know, public sector, whatever, you have to, to, to build that appreciation and it takes yeah. time, which yeah. I think... You know, we, we all have to kind of go on that on that journey. You know, tell me something, Rochelle. Like, who who inspires you? You talked about mentorship um, just now, which is which is really great. That's always one of the things that I ask about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but but beyond kind of the folks that you have direct access to, who who inspires you from a business or education or professorial standpoint? Ah, uh, a number of people. Let me count. Um, in terms of a professorial standpoint, I was very fortunate to, like the university that I am at right now, one of the polls to be there was that my immediate supervisor at the time was very, this expert, world-renowned person in the area of performance management. So um, that was very inspiring to want to be better in terms of the knowledge, have, possessing the knowledge and being the expert in this area because I really, I really looked up to her. Um, unfortunately, she retired probably about a year after I joined, but she was really sort of inspiring to, to just want to, um, to, to be the best I could be in a particular area. Um, in terms of, I, I do follow a lot of people in terms of thought leaders. Um, huh. Anybody particular kind of come to mind that you, that you try to, to, to model after um, in, any, in any particular ways? I think I think minds are quite cliche and traditional in that sense. I really like um, Simon Sinek and where he says, start with why. And that I find very inspiring because when I first started out my consultancy, I was like, okay, I just want to make money. <laughs> I just want to have a global consultancy that lets me work anywhere in the world and make money. And then I started thinking, okay, but what do I want to make money to do? What's the point? What type of product do I want to create or service? How will it help people? Um, and then I started to align, try to align who I was with what I wanted to do. So that was particularly important for me. Um, there are quite a few other people. It's hard. To <laughs> no, well, actually, I, 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 I would say that yeah. build on Simon Sinek because he's actually one that you know that, that I love that you that you mentioned him, and I always like to to use the 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 podcast to share names and hey, go read this book and who are people kind of paying attention to, but but yeah. Simon Sinek will start with why has been a big influence for mm. for myself and my co-founder at Curvin Ideas. Um, and, and we've certainly adapted over the years how we try to 
articulate how we try to, to talk about it and, and and that is a big influence so i think that's a really um a really powerful one um how do you how do you approach balance you're very busy you got lots of stuff going on um how do you how do you try to to, to keep yourself centered or do you do yoga do you do meditation and what what, what, do you, what what are the ways that you would you try yeah. to attack that um, the main thing for me tends to be working out or to be in nature. I love nature. I love anything outdoors. When I was in the UK, because I'll, I'll be back there in six weeks, but when I was in the UK, especially during lockdown, I would go for a lot of really long bike rides, a lot of walks, a lot of runs. I play tennis with um, friends of mine. So anything outdoors and active, I like, I love CrossFit. I love anything with weights and throwing stuff around. <laughs> yeah. But I think in terms of like clearing my head, um, I think just being out in nature. So I try like every Saturday morning, for example, to go for a run or go for a cross country walk and try to discover something new. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. I always want to, to kind of, you know, and it, it, it's, it's doubly important, um, you know, through, in kind of living through a pandemic, but it's also yeah. important um, just in, in life to try to find. Yeah. Yeah. Some sort of balance, you know? Absolutely. Um, yeah. Super, super important. So I want to, to explore for all those people out there who, who you say digital nomad and, you know, they want to get their side hustle on, um, but they also want to take it on the road. What are some of the ways that you've advised people for how to kind of manage that and achieve that? Yeah, I would say one of the things you have to have is a very clear focus because it's not easy. I mean, we see a lot of these images of people traveling from Bali to this place to that place and it looks very glamorous uh, so when people hear oh you're working from Barbados it looks very glamorous but the truth is it's, it's a lot of work it's very intense and if you don't keep your focus on what you're doing and make time for that and make time to plan for that then you're going to get sidetracked either by the distractions in the location or you might just get tired and fed up one of the things about your side hustle is that it's something that requires constant attention, constant management, and constant action. So whether or not you are the one doing that, or whether or not you have a team in place to do that, you have to make sure that you're constantly thinking about the next two, three steps ahead, and not just about the, the immediate job that you're working on. So I think focus is one of the things. Having good people, good, a good team, and good colleagues around really helps. Having your finances in order is a really important one. So um, again, usually if you're going to plan to be for a place in a year, you there's there's a lot of cost that goes into that. And in, in addition to the upfront accommodation, visas, and those sort of things, daily living, but also your business subscriptions, different subscriptions you pay for to, let's say, market yourself and so forth. So I think it requires a lot of discipline, a lot of focus, but also to have a good support network around you. Because unless you're with your family or with your partner or so forth, it can also be a very lonely journey. I remember earlier, in earlier days before I was with my partner, it can be very lonely if you're traveling. Like, for example, I was in Thailand for five weeks while doing the um, research. And my time there, it was very exciting and so forth. I had a good time. But there was a lot of time also that I spent by myself. And while I like that personally, because I'm, I'm an introvert, I would describe myself as an introvert. I really enjoy time with myself. Um, for the average person, that can be very difficult. And I remember I had a lot of digital nomads who I met there that were calling me just to do stuff, just to get out of the house. So I think it, it really takes a certain 
certain mindset um, to pursue a digital nomad life because it's not all the glamour that you see. It's, it's rewarding, but it's not all the glamour. So, so as uh, and that's and that's really really interesting because you you just mentioned some things there that I I might not have even thought about on on that journey. So I think that's going to be really valuable for folks who are kind of wanting to go there. Um, and as we kind of start to wrap, if I kind of flip it, the core idea or one of the ideas behind Gig HR is also for the corporate side and how yeah. they manage this evolving um, worker. So what are kind of the top two or three things that you've been sharing with with leaders and corporate innovators and so on about how how they need to adapt in this area? Um, One of the things that they need to really think about is or really understand is gig workers aren't casual workers. They're workers. They're people that are also trying to make a living. So don't treat them like casual workers. If you want to get the best out of your gig worker, don't treat them as a casual worker. Treat them as a, a valued part of that organization for the time that they're with that company. So I think speaking to your gig worker, trying to find out actually what they want, what are the things that interest them, where what are the barriers that they face when working with your company are some of the essential things because a lot of gig workers have spoken to us and companies as well have spoken to us about projects that were pursued and those projects have failed because um, some the gig worker, let's say, didn't deliver on time or they couldn't get in touch with the right person, or there was a a different expectation, or no one was managing the project. So there really needs to be a conversation, and particularly at the very beginning, with regards to how that person will be working with the company, what are the resources they need, and how can we provide uh, for them to give us the best results. But because they're casual and often not seen as a part of the organization, that support usually isn't provided for a lot of workers, which affects their ability to deliver on the job very well. So I think one speaking to your gig workers and just really not treating them as casual throwaways is, is a big one. No, that's that's uh, that's really interesting because yeah, as, I think as all companies around the world, particularly in the Caribbean, have started to embrace remote work, they've been challenged with you know even for their for their full time employees how to how to manage them, and then far less you know employees that they're bringing in for kind of a, a spot need or a short term need. So that is really kind of power power. Powerful advice. So, Rochelle, you know, you, you've given us some clues as we've gone through around some of the, you know, your your your, your big ambitions and so on. When you think about, you know, building this, you know, potentially global consultancy. Like, you know, I guess I want you to articulate, um, you know, what what you hope for the for the organization in terms of impact or reach, etc. In the next sort of three to three to five years. I want across the globe for people to know crowd potential crowd potential sorry as that company that creates better working experiences for all types of workers i want us to be known as the gig hr experts which is why i call myself the gig hr expert i want that to be more widely known and people to be very familiar with gig hr and to see more companies starting to implement a gig hr framework to really embrace different types of work So one of the things I've heard a lot from companies is that they want to return to normal. They want to get everyone back in the office. And I've seen a lot of companies forcing this and trying to force people back in, regardless of seeing um, good results from their full-time staff, but also from working with gig workers. There's this 
clinging to the traditional mindset. But I think I really want to see individuals more and more embracing different types of work and that becoming the norm. So perhaps someone can work from the office a few days a week, but also make provisions for them to work um, from home. The other times that we are decide which positions might be able to be moved remotely, which positions might we get an independent contractor involved or how can we work with, let's say, persons that might have left the company? How can we work with them in a, a contracting or independent um, entrepreneur sense? So I, I want to see people embracing different ways of working rather than sticking to nine to five physical in office because it's all it's what has always been done. Um, that's no reason for continuing to do something because it's, it's, just, it's the way that you know. So I think I want crowd potential to really be the, the advocates and the persons that are facilitating that and helping companies across the globe to embrace and to really benefit and thrive from embracing different types of work and working experiences. I love that. You know, I think that's a, a great example of of starting with why having a big, hairy, audacious goal. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, Dr. Rochelle Haynes, I love what you're doing. You're repping for um, Barbados, for the Caribbean, um, and you're you're looking to push push the envelope and push the world forward, which is which is exactly what um, you know innovators do. So so I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, join um, and be on the Uptick podcast, and and I'm really looking forward to to continuing to to see you do great things and to finding ways to to help help you you know pull this off. Yeah, thank you, Shiki. And I love a lot of the work that you're doing as well in terms of promoting ideas and promoting the Caribbean. So thank you for having me on your podcast and also keep doing what you're doing. You're doing a great job. Awesome. Great. Well, thank you. Well, that was Dr. Rochelle Haynes, born and raised in Barbados, operating out of the UK and co-founder of Crowd Potential, a company that's leading thinking around gig HR and the blended workforce revolution. And just really showing what Uptick is all about, that even from our small islands in the Caribbean, we can create powerful ideas and intellectual property that can add value to businesses and organizations and people all around the world. Make sure you know the next time an episode of Uptick drops by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. And remember, share Uptick with a friend. Now, on behalf of Caribbean Ideas, this is Chike Farrell signing off. And remember, keep on ticking up.